We begin in January 2021 with me, Alice, and my co-host, Buddy. We are recording remotely during a pandemic on opposite ends of California. Outside, it's raining. Inside, we are freezing because some of us have no heat. Greetings from Cyberland. Welcome back to Greetings from Cyberland. I'm Alice White. And I'm Buddy Duquesne. And on today's episode, we are starting our song-by-song breakdown of the uh, of the musical Rent. The hit 1996 musical Rent, uh, an influential and meaningful piece of art that we are lovingly revisiting over the course of this podcast miniseries. Um, and I'm excited to jump in because for me... Rent is about the music and its characters. I mean, okay, yeah, that's 90% of what Rent is. Uh, But more than its cultural impact and more than its, um, you know, history and and production history and that sort of thing, I feel like where I will thrive in talking about Rent is in analyzing, like, what the characters say about themselves and how they say it and kind of just doing a little bit of, you know, literary analysis here of what is Rent. Yeah. Uh, and and what do the songs of Rent say about its story, its setting, its characters, its conflicts, all of it, right? Exactly. So for today and the next three episodes after this, so four episodes total, we'll be breaking down the show song by song. Uh, today we are doing Act One, Part One, uh, we're going to cover the show from tune-up number one uh, all the way to the song Another Day. And it seems like a big chunk of this musical, um, but trust me, this is the best place to cut it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you you meaningfully curated this section of the podcast. Uh, I, I want to say something before we begin. Uh, it is actually raining outside, but we do have access to heat. Please don't panic. We are, we are doing okay. <laughs> um, so... Tune-up number one uh, starts with a monologue, right? Sure, yeah. Uh, the uh, monologue or the bit at the beginning of this episode was a little bit of a parody of the monologue that Mark opens the show. Uh, kind of sets the scene, tell us what the apartment. They live on uh, 11th Street and Avenue B. They live above a um, what was once a music publishing factory. They have an illegal woodburning stove and a bunch of rock and roll posters talking about how cool Roger used to be. Um, and they, he mentions the tent city that has sprung up in the lot next door. Um, and so that kind of gives us like literally a little bit of exposition setting the scene about the show. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, one, of, one of my favorite details is the uh, the one source of electricity in the apartment is stolen from the apartment above them uh, and is on one extension cord. I think that's <laughs> hilarious. Um, uh, and just really kind of, I don't know, it, it, it's a neat detail that tells us about the situation of these characters and kind of speaks to their ingenuity, right? Like, yeah. They they are doing what they can under these circumstances, but the circumstances are dire. Like conflict has arrived already for them. Yeah, that monologue kind of setting the scene and giving us their ingenuity and and all of that um is uh not you won't hear that on any of the uh recordings of the show. Um 
that but that's how the show actually opens but then more famously we head straight up into tune-up number one uh, which is the the song that starts with the iconic line December 24th 9 p.m eastern standard time from here on in I shoot without a script and that's See if Mark, anything comes with it <laughs> instead of my old shit <laughs> right and so this is Mark Mark introduces himself he introduces Roger he um, kind of between the monologue and the and the these first couple of tune-ups we get a a glimpse into their reality their uh, their crappy apartment their lack of heat their even their like hopes and dreams <laughs> um we get that mark's a filmmaker we get that roger's a musician um it's like the briefest little intro to these characters with a little bit of foreshadowing and a little bit of backstory yeah and for me what what I wanted to talk about with these first couple of little moments with Mark and Roger is that they are total jerks to each other. <laughs> uh, and I don't know if the play has earned that yet um, because maybe maybe it's because they're best friends. I mean, we're best friends and we're total jerks to each other. And we, we are occasionally. <laughs> uh, and, but, but Mark and Roger were just meeting and some of what they say to each other in this part, especially how Mark talks to and about Roger, uh, comes off really mean-spirited to me. Yeah, uh, and and that kind of continues, I guess, through the, the whole show. Uh, they tease each other pretty hard during Lovey Bohem and then fight actively during Goodbye Love later. Um, and it's that, that their friendship seems to be based on their mutual, um, like teasing of each other um and i'm sure that they love and care about each other very very much but they rarely show it and i wonder if that's them kind of showing um like that their relationship is pretty strained um roger mentions that or mark mentions that roger is coming off of half a year withdrawal um he's presumably not working um, that they, they, you know, they don't have any money, they don't have any heat, they're kind of struggling. And it, so it could just be a result of, like, the tension that they're under, that they don't have a lot of nice things to say about each other. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, one one thing that stands out to me is that um, uh, Mark says that Roger's tuning his guitar, that he hasn't played in a year, obviously because of that rehab and what he went through in that year, which was, you know, tumultuous, to say the least. Uh, and Roger's like, uh, it won't tune. And Mark's like, so we so hear. <laughs> like, like, okay, but give him a second. He's relearning how to pick up his guitar and write songs and be creative. Like, yeah. it's a delicate moment. And Mark is just really awful to Roger. <laughs> I don't know. But um, as awful as they are to each other, uh, they clearly prefer each other's company to what they have left at home. So our next song is uh, voicemail number one, which uh, comes from Mark's mother, uh, who is adorable, if a tad overbearing. Um, she, it, I, I, what I really love about the voicemails, I want to like, and I'm going to talk about the voicemails like a lot uh, over the course of the next few episodes. Um, is that I really like that the voicemails feature the parents of these characters um, pretty exclusively and that each parent has a distinct um, sound and a distinct like tempo that they sing at and Mark's mother specifically sings like at like a much higher soprano than the other parents and like way faster um, like she is like talking and singing a mile a minute 
Um, and that's, you know, giving her, even though we only hear her over voicemail, gives her like a really like distinct character, um, which is really fun for someone that only gets a handful of lines. Yeah. Uh, and I think that what this establishes really quickly is that Mark is actively not avoiding his home life, but he is actively separating himself from it. Yeah. Uh, and that he could he could go back to that and that there are people back there that care about him. Um, and it, like, you know, his mom is a, a tad bit overbearing. I agree. But, you know. His mom wants him to be safe and warm and pick up the phone and talk and, you know... Use the hot plate that she bought him. (laughs) Right. Like, there is genuine care being shown, and I feel like that is part of what gets us a little set up for some of the common criticisms of a lot of the characters in Rent, especially Mark. It's that he, he could choose to return to you know, his parents. You could just move back in. It seems like they would be cool with it. Or even not just move back in, but like if he was in contact with them more, they could be sending him more help. If he was more more willing to like call them or pick up the phone when they call, um, that he might not need to suffer in poverty. And maybe there's more to it that we, the audience, don't see or hear, but it seems like Mark is kind of just being obstinate. Yeah. Agree. Um... And so, so that's that's Mark's mother. I'll 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 go on about the other voicemails later. This one was pretty straightforward. Um, Mark's mother also does this uh, in voicemail number one, though. Uh, does this the the uh, the favor of introducing us to Maureen um, by by bringing up the fact that Maureen has uh, recently dumped Mark. Mark has yeah. recently been broken up with, and that Maureen has moved on and is now dating a woman. Um, yeah, that is I, that is information that is given to us really fast. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's kind of the the first the first real unseen detail that we get about these characters. Like mm-hmm. a, a lot of this stuff is on the stage, and you can kind of get it implied by the set. But then Mark's mom goes and brings up Maureen, and I don't know if we talked about this before, but one of the things I love about what this show does with Maureen is have everybody talk about her before she arrives which is over an hour into the play when you're watching it yes uh she is this movie's jaws like (laughs) we're gonna talk about that shark for hours and then eventually we're gonna see it yes and she she's almost (laughs) mythical by the time she arrives exactly exactly they give her this like otherworldly like feeling about her she's she gets whole songs dedicated to how important she is to people and we don't get to see her until like the last second in act one um and so but the first thing we learn about her is that she's dumped mark and she is dating a woman uh, that'll get brought up a couple more times right. um the and the next person we get to hear from um is uh is benny <laughs> oh yeah, yeah benny benny uh, shows up in uh tune up number two the one of the most complicated characters in this story and uh, one heck of a way to bring him in and set him up as kind of the villain right now right, right. uh demanding all of the rents from the last year right now all at once uh which which must be an astronomical number uh, I, it's I swear we keep forgetting that that like everyone forgets that this is what Benny is asking Benny's asking for a lot of money very very quickly. 
after after their agreement that they were basically living there rent free mm-hmm. like it, it wasn't just a deferment of payment it's like Benny has gone back on the deal yeah the deal say, was that they wouldn't have to pay rent and now he wants a year's worth yeah he says um, I need the rent what rent this past year's rent that I let slide let slide you said we were golden when you bought the building when we were roommates remember you lived here And that, wow, talk about a lot of information all at once. Benny used to be their friend and roommate. Then he bought the building, said they were golden, and is now saying, just kidding. You owe me so much money. On Christmas Eve. On Christmas Eve. And it's like, what brought this on? Because, I mean, it's a little cliche, but this is a Benny, you changed, man, moment. (laughs) And he did. Yeah. Like, what happened? It, it is an intriguing sort of way to drop the main major conflict on our characters. Absolutely. Um, yeah, Benny, Benny's a, a cool character, and we'll get more of Benny uh, later this episode. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to uh, the title track. <laughs> the next thing that happens is they sing the song Rent. Oh, yeah. Everything is Rent. Everything is Rent. Um, uh, it, it does contain my least favorite set of lyrics in the entire play. Ooh. I, I know I know we were just debating this, but no, rent it has it. What is um, it? Rent, 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 rent. <laughs> Unforgivable. Uh, this is not the Brady Bunch. This is not Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. And there are three more rents in there than a Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Um, yeah. That, no, yeah, that's that's a lot. They do sing the word rent a lot in a and row. And it's like, like what to what end are we filling the space here? Why? And it, 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 it is a little way dumb. Um, I would like to introduce you to, um, uh, to the prologue to End of the Woods, where they sing <laughs> the phrase End of the Woods like 150 times in a row. Is it um, really 150? I have never counted, but it's a lot. <laughs> Um, I think it's just a musical thing. I think you, I think you're just gonna have to have to suck it up. <laughs> uh, some of my favorite lines from this song um, include um, uh, like some certain telling lines, like uh, some life that we've chosen. We've chosen this. We yeah, and they they, they know they've acknowledged. they know that they are starving starving artists on purpose. Yeah, some life that we've chosen. Um, <laughs> and then to the more poetical, I really like the line: "How can you connect in an age where strangers, landlords, lovers, your own blood cells betray?" Yeah. How do you connect in an age where everything, including your own body, is betraying you? Is something that I think is like like such a core like such a core moment in this entire musical it's like i'm gonna use the phrase thesis statement so many times in this podcast (laughs) but like that's that's part of it it's how are we connecting how can how can roger fall in love with mimi how can mark make his movie how can you know how can joanne and maureen make it work how can angel and collins make it work all of these questions are being asked in this musical um, how can we do these things? How can we even live our lives if our own bodies are going to to fall out from underneath us? Um, it's um, it's tough. I mean, God, we're only two minutes into the sh- into the musical, and we're already asking questions like this, and I think that's really important. It is kind of the the musical's central question, or like I I feel like it's the theme that we all forget about, even though the musical yells it at yells it at us multiple yeah. times. <laughs> it's it's about connection. It's about people connecting, mm-hmm. uh, and we'll we'll get it again near the end of the musical. You know, what was it about that night? Connection in an, in an isolating, isolating age. age. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And it's like, oh, it's about the fact that these people somehow connect despite it all. Yeah. Uh, despite the fact that you can't trust anybody. Despite the fact that you can't trust your own body. Uh, and I think that's just... That's amazing, actually. Like, we're, we're already starting to bring it up. Now, yes, I was a little hard on the song uh, <laughs> earlier, but it is a good song. Uh, it's really upbeat. Uh, it draws us in, tells us a little bit more about the characters. Uh, they burn their scripts and posters, which is pretty good. Uh, and they, they joke about it while they do. Yeah. Uh, the narration crackling and popping with incendiary wit. Ooh. Uh, that's fun. Yeah, um, it is fun. I, I want to take a moment to acknowledge that it's way better in the musical than it is in the movie. Way better in the musical than it is in the movie. In uh, the movie, it doesn't make a lot of sense that the entire block is burning eviction notices. That does, right. like, is everyone being kicked out of their apartment by Benny in the entire street, not just in their building? That yeah. doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make any sense. Because and and turning, turning this very personal conflict... Uh, global at that point like it feels like the whole world is upset about rent um, <laughs> it does nothing for it it should be about these two guys uh, and how they're gonna do whatever it takes to not pay the rent yeah up to and including burning their past and their work yeah uh, just to just to keep living this lifestyle for a little longer Yeah, because as far as we know Benny just needs the money from them I feel like he's eventually gonna tear down the building to build it up prettier like he talks about cyber arts later um, but like for right now, this is about these guys's rent, the, this money, this event. Um, we also in the song get to be introduced to Joanne, um, who is uh, on the phone with um, with Maureen again, singing about Maureen and to Maureen. But we don't get to see Maureen yet. But we get Joanne talking about trying to be a stage manager. She's not a theater person. I'm Maureen, I'm not a theater person. She could never be a theater person. Hysterical. I love when theater makes fun of theater. That's the <laughs> best. Um, and then and then it's like, you're not calling Mark. So we know now that Joanne, we, we get in just a couple of lines. Joanne is Maureen's new girlfriend. And that Maureen wants Mark to to come. So we we're getting we're being drawn connections uh, all around. Yeah. Um, and I just realized we forgot to talk about Collins. How could we have forgotten to talk about Tom Collins, who, Tom in Collins. my opinion, is the heart and soul of the show? Tom Collins, the best character in the show, who who we did who we did get to see in two number two. I, I forgot about that. Right. He's downstairs. So Collins is downstairs. They're going to they throw him the keys. Um, and which is very cute on stage where he drops it into the orchestra pit, but then somebody drops it from, um, from above the stage. So Collins can catch it really cute. Oh yeah. Very cool. Um, and then Collins gets mugged. He gets beat up. Um, and they take almost his entire jacket. <laughs> and, um, so he's, he spends they left the, the song. sleeves though. <laughs> um, and... So he's he spends the song Rent kind of stumbling around trying to, you know, figure out what's going on. He's getting dizzy and he's, you know, he, he's been hurt real bad. Yeah. And, um, and it, it reinforces the question of trust, right? Like, clearly, New York City, this block especially, is kind of a hostile place. Yeah. They're, uh, they're in a rough spot. Where even Tom, their best friend who's just an amicable dude, not doing anything, minding his own business, can just get mugged. Yeah. And, and and they can they can like lose track of him because of it. They're kind of setting a scene for what New York was in the you know New York used to be 
was, you know, it still can be a little rough, but um, New York had a reputation for being particularly dangerous in the 90s. Um, and, you know, oh, you can't even just walk down the street, you know, and Benny talks about it in Lovey Bohem later when he's like, oh, you know, you don't want to live in a neighborhood where people piss on your stoop. And, and he's talking about, uh, you know, he, he talks about the homeless community and he talks about, you know, how dangerous the neighborhood is and how he wants to make it better. It's about gentrification and all of that. And so yeah. we, we do get to see it in action because Collins gets the shit beat out of him. Yeah. Um, and that that inciting incident allows probably one of the greatest romances in the history of film, theater, yeah. literature ever Cause to, here comes Angel. to suddenly blossom. Because here comes Angel. We're moving on to You Okay, Honey. Um, Angel's here. Um, the song opens with the, uh, with the carolers, um, which is... One of one of the cooler parts, I think, of the, of the musical, um, that that the movie misses desperately. Uh, the Carolers are a group of uh, of ensemble members who act as kind of like a Greek chorus almost, who give us kind of uh, regular updates. Um, they sing intermittently throughout the show, kind of cynical, and um, they they take like, Christmas songs. Or Christmas-sounding songs, and kind of, um, kind of break them down in a way that's like, "Hey, oh, everyone wants to celebrate Christmas right now. Well, guess what? It sucks for us. We're yeah. homeless in New York, and it's freezing out here. Yeah, this is not Christmas for everyone. Um, and yeah, we'll see them multiple times over the course of the show. Um, I really like them. So they open the song, and then Angels there." <laughs> Yeah, uh, Angel, who is the opposite of cynical and, yeah. and the opposite of hostile. And I think it's like it, it's it's about the contrast in introducing Angel, how right away Angel is ready to give anything to Tom Collins. Oh, yeah. And, it's, and that Tom it's Collins like is love like, at first sight. For yeah. The, both and, of them. And, and that Tom Collins is open to that after being grievously injured at the hands of strangers is... I think what makes the moment so powerful, like yeah. Tom Collins is at his lowest and Angel is there and Tom Collins lets himself be saved. Yeah. Um, I just, I think that's brilliant. Yeah. It's really sweet. It's a, it's a super sweet moment in there and they're, yeah, it's a really, it's a cute little song with just like a little hint of flirtation and, you know, a little bit of innuendo, even at the end, they kind of acknowledge to each other right away. Like, Oh, this is, this is something. They get <laughs> yeah. it. It's, it, you know, they might not say love at first sight, but later they probably would. By the time, yeah. um, by the time I'll cover you comes on, they're like, oh yeah, we we've known each other an hour and we're madly in love with each Honestly, other. Honestly, by the time today for you comes up, <laughs> really, that's they, true. they're already they're already as close as any dating couple I have ever seen in real life. Yeah, yeah. Give them give them an hour, and they're like, they're. <laughs> in each other's pockets already it's yeah. so cute <laughs> uh, but um, that does bring us back into mark and roger's apartment yep we got to go back inside um so yeah mark and roger are like like i wonder where collins is also what are we gonna do about money <laughs> um and then also uh is where we find out what happened to uh what happened to roger specifically yeah um the 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 poignant part of this song is the line um 
uh, close on Roger, his girlfriend April left a note saying we've got AIDS before slitting her wrist in the bathroom. Like, Jesus. It's uh, Part of it is, part of what makes it so hard to hear is, again, I, I hate to feel like a broken record here, but but Mark's tone mm-hmm. in in every version of this that I've heard is not supportive. It, it is not, he's not joking. No, but, but it's, he's just stating it. It's like, like he's, it's cold. like he's watching Roger as an exhibit. Right. And that, and he gets criticized for that pretty hard about like separating himself from everyone, putting the yeah. camera between everyone and himself from feeling anything. Right. He does, he does get to be, you know, he, he does have a sweet moment where well, kind of sweet, where he reminds Roger to take his meds. So take right. your AZT. You know, he's he's trying to look out for Roger. It's just something really horrible has happened to Roger. Um, and he doesn't know how to deal with it. Ro- like, Mark doesn't have the, like, emotional bandwidth to understand the, like, horror that Roger's been going through over the last six months. Yeah, and, and that Mark would use Roger as his subject here. And so so simply describe this personal tragedy right yeah um i feel like it 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 really turns me off him as a character it doesn't make me sympathize with him and honestly the musical already had him on thin ice (laughs) because some life that he's chosen right this is what he wants to be doing yeah and we heard from his mom (laughs) right so that that means that you know not only is mark a jerk but he's choosing to be a jerk He's choosing to be a a poor jerk. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's, it's, yeah, it's, I don't know if it's part of, of growing up to realize that Mark is not your, is not your guy anymore. Like he's, I don't know. I just, it's I feel like though, because, he used to be my favorite. He is the cipher through which we see the story. Like he's not the protagonist, but because he's framed as, Actually, you got me thinking about this when, when we were talking about, like, what is the use of the camera? What is the documentary that is Rent, right? When you set him up as the person behind the camera and the narrator at the beginning of the show, he becomes not, again, not the main character, not the protagonist, the cipher through which the audience is meant to view this series of events. Mm-hmm. And to have one that is, in this moment especially, I, I will soften on Mark later in the show. But in this moment, especially, so thoroughly unlikable and yeah. uncharitable to his own friends. Yeah. Uh, it's it's just tough. I, I just wish there was more nuance here. Yeah. I don't soften on, on Mark until Halloween. Like... <laughs> well, I said later in the show. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, so I wasn't sure how much later in the show you were thinking, <laughs> but it's definitely not until like way late into act two that I even feel anything for Mark anymore. And he, yeah. I swear, he used to be my favorite. I used to wear, in high school, when on cold days, I used to wear a stripy scarf because Mark wore a stripy scarf. Like, like yeah. that's not a joke. <laughs> I know. I was there. Uh, and and the thing is that there's Mark gets to do cool things in this show. He, he does get to uh, kind of go through it all. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, you know, he, he's an interesting character. Yeah. I think in in two ways is he frustrating. One, in this whole opening sequence, setting him up for being 
an unreliable narrator at best. Uh-huh. And two, in that he doesn't seem to grow that much. That Mark's arc seems to be left on the floor. Whatever it was. Um, though I guess he grows into deciding he needs to finish his own film. Uh, which is something. Which I is guess. something, I guess. I don't know. Mark Mark needs a big rewrite. <laughs> yeah. He needs, yeah. But, we'll get but, we'll get into that much later in this show. <laughs> um, but you know, to let's move on. Let's keep going. Um, okay. uh, we're gonna spend a little time with Roger for a little bit. We're gonna forget Mark for a second. He's gonna leave for a few songs. Um, we're gonna spend some time with Roger. Uh, before Roger gets into his big "I want" song, um, he's going to say, "Well, he says the line, I'm writing one great song.' He says that a couple of times." Um, in like tune up number one I'm writing one great song but he doesn't finish the the line and he still doesn't finish the line but now he he says I'm writing one great song before I and then breaks he cuts off. himself off cuts right. himself off he's gonna say now we know now we, now we know something about Roger that the end of that is I'm writing one great song before I die right. we didn't know that Roger had AIDS before um but Mark just told us by telling us what happened to April. He tells us what happened to Roger. And now we know what's Roger's deal. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, and, and this idea of, of one great song um, directly transitions into this next yes, song. This is so the next song is one song glory, um, which is, yeah, this is Roger's big. I want song. This is, um, I want to write one song. I want to make a mark on the world. I want to, one song to redeem this empty life is the, is the line I highlighted here. Wow. He, he feels like he hasn't done anything or that he's wasted something. And all he wants to do is he thinks if I write just one really good song, I will have fixed that. One blaze of glory. One blaze of glory. What What's interesting to me about Roger, that's like the details are all there. He used to be very successful. Gigs all over town, posters, right? Yeah. Something happened along the way that made him lose that success, right? Because that sends him into um, rehab and, 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 and you know yeah. trying to trying to put the pieces back together his girlfriend now, commits suicide and suddenly he is like i need to get clean right now right yeah there goes his rock star career there goes yeah because he can't be around he's going through withdrawals really bad and you know can't be around people that want to party like he used to do when he was a rock star yeah i guess i guess what i'm trying to get at is that roger is a character that had glory yeah. Uh, like, like it was something that he did. He had commercial success. He had popularity, and he was an artist. Like he was living, yeah. I guess, what they want to live. Probably wasn't like very commercially successful, right? Like a fun local band that people, you know, you know, he maybe had a handful of fans, kind of thing. Right. There's not like a ton of money in that, but sure. he was doing what he loved. Right, and 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 somewhat succeeding. Uh, and I just think that's interesting. Like, like Roger as a character that's maybe a little bit more over the hill compared to the other characters. Yeah, maybe. Um, that feeling like he needs to kind of recapture glory as well. Um, and not just do one thing that will make people remember him, 
but like find a way back to what he once had as well. It's yeah. a difference between him and Mark um, that I think is really distinct, actually. Yeah. Well, he says he wants to write, he says one song before I go, e- yeah. even. he's. It, it really is about like, I want another chance. Yeah. I, I like need one more chance. I don't want to die before I have a chance to do something worth worthwhile. We get to learn, you know, at the, by the end of the show, he learns that maybe that Mimi is that is that chance. Right. Um, and here she comes. Here's yeah, Mimi. she just she just appears uh, to to be another conflict, I guess. Well, I guess <laughs> I guess this is like somebody looking out for Roger. He says, I, I, I want to do something worthy and I want to redeem my empty life. What do I do? How can I get it? And then Mimi goes... like that was a great knock thank you um yeah she she just kind of appears at his door uh bringing i guess that meaning right or that chance at meaning she Uh, literally brings a light into the like she brings a candle into the room right she i i guess it's just about as literal a metaphor as you can get (laughs) yeah because it's time for light my candle yeah and and in light my candle we learn kind of everything we need to know about Mimi to understand her. Yes. Uh, it's definitely, if if this were Cats, this would be Mimi's song from Cats. <laughs> it's the one where she says who she is and what her deal is. Yeah. Um, we, we find out that she, for example, works at the Cat Scratch Club. She dances there. They used to tie her up. They don't anymore. She, we learn that she's 19, um, right. but thinks that she's old for her age. Right. Um, we uh, learn that she's into heroin. Uh, that she has heroin and uh, is bad at keeping track of it too. Uh, and uh, the the question of like lighting the candle being like this double entendre of you know lighting the flames of passion uh, and romance. And it's also, also lit- literally you light the candle so you have a little flame because you put the heroin on a right. spoon over the flame and. Yeah, she she's yeah, it's, literally it's saying help me at do, once. help me do drugs. <laughs> right. It's it's but it is both. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all not of it. just drugs. It's all of the above. Right. Um and I feel like you know I, I like this I like this song for me. It's so cute. It's a really I, great song. It, I'm going to I'm going to go out on a limb here. I like this better than Out Tonight. Ooh, okay. Um and I like it because it's interpersonal. Um where Out Tonight is just Mimi talking about what she wants in life. Um, this is this is about her and Roger and what their what their deal will be together. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that just makes it a better song. I I I really like this song. I think it's one of the stronger like theatery numbers. This is like like proper musical theater here. We got <laughs> we've gotten we've gotten you know we have that, but we also have like rock and roll and 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 stuff. But this is like. This is just mu- musical theater. <laughs> and it's, it's also, it's got it's that nice. um, kind of cheesy musical theater romance beat to it. That da-da-dum, da-da-dum, da Yeah, no, it's it's really cute. It's it's definitely, it's kind of like a like a basic song, but in a good way. It's yeah. it's nice. Um, and we'll, yeah, we'll spend more time with Mimi and Roger later. Um, let's keep going. Okay. Um, uh, we have a quick interlude here from uh, Mr. and Mrs. Jefferson. We got uh, Joanne's parents get to come in. We don't even know Joanne that well yet. We know that she's not a theater person. <laughs> Could never be a theater person. Right. Uh, um, 
but no, we we're gonna go meet her parents a little a little more before. Yeah, in a lot of ways, it's it's a parallel to Mark, right? Like, yeah, we we find out that Joanne has what passes for a stable home life. We know that she's a lawyer. Yeah. Um, and we know that she really likes to wear Doc Martens <laughs> and doesn't like to wear bras. <laughs> right. It's interesting um, because uh, those are stere- stereotypical things that have been kind of foisted on the lesbian community. Um, yeah. And it's also interesting because that's not how we ever see Joanne. No, we don't. We see her in suits and heels for the most part. Yeah. Um, looking great, of course. Um. But yeah, we see her in like her lawyer outfit most of the time. We know she's a lawyer. We know her parents are like going partying for New Year's with the senator. Um, we know that they are, yeah, wealthy. She comes from from money, um, and that they don't that they um, they don't approve of necessarily a Doc Martens wardrobe, but they they approve of her like her life right yeah. like they, they, they seem to be they supportive anyway they seem to be supportive and loving parents yeah it's it's an interesting thing happening in this play that like the conflict in joanne's life could have been my parents don't accept that i'm a lesbian yeah um and that's why i'm not going home but no they they are cool <laughs> with joanne's lesbianism yeah uh they're, they're cool that she's gay uh, and and that's fascinating because I think it makes it another parallel to Mark, which is her parents are going to try to let her figure herself out, um, but they do care and they will be there for her. Uh, I, I. All right. Here's a thesis statement. OK. Mark and Joanne are the best duo in this play. <laughs> I love the way that they interact. I would I would go so far as to say I love their relationship, the way yeah. that they relate to each other. Their relationship is really fun. Yeah, um, and, yeah, and, and it's all over the place. X and current flame becoming best friends is such a good trope. <laughs> um, and <laughs> it it works here. Um, yeah. So I feel like we're actually kind of setting Joanne up to be like another cipher. Like we have this similar information. Like yeah. Joanne is also here to kind of guide us through the world as something of an outsider. I think um, Joanne, yeah, Joanne gets to be kind of like an audience surrogate um, in that she's, she doesn't know these people. She only knows Maureen. She doesn't, we get to be introduced to the characters one at a time. And so does Joanne. Um, And that's, and and that's like cool because we we're going to we're going to like learn and see from her perspective. Yeah, and and having a character who's clueless about the community she's walking in um opens up a lot of opportunities in the script. I I think it, it works out to have Joanne be as much of an outsider as she is. Yeah. All right, let's keep going. Okay. Next song is uh Today for You. We're back in the apartment. Um and uh it's it starts with Collins um, being the uh, being Santa Claus for his <laughs> friends. <laughs> um, he's bringing cigarettes and and vodka and you know some some food, but you know but but mostly the important things. Sure. <laughs> um, and also the most important thing he brings Angel. 
Right. And Angel is in her best look. This is the best look of the entire show. The Santa dress over the zebra tights. It's so iconic and so wonderful. It's just... it's so Uh, it's just so lovely this this is yet another high energy exciting iconic song for Ren yes like this this song is great um this song will get the whole audience on its feet at the end if you've got the right angel doing like flips and shit all over the all over the stage (laughs) she's so good (laughs) yeah she is and so it's it's Yet another example of using that sort of thing to to tell us things about the characters, right? Like, in in the beginning of the song, we find out that uh, Tom Collins is an ex MIT professor now headed to NYU. He calls them couch potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh yeah, really slumming it at NYU, Tom Collins. All right, um, but then. You know, Angel starts her performance slash story that is today for you, right? Yes, here's how I got all this money. Like, I killed a dog. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Uh, we don't forgive anybody in fiction who kills a dog. In, but, or, or in real life, but especially in fiction. It's like having somebody kill a dog establishes them as the, the most evil. So how are we so forgiving of Angel in this? Everyone is forgiving of Angel for this. It's true, including Benny later in the show. But, including Benny. And it's Benny's dog. dog so, it was. <laughs> so I, I have always had questions about this entire song. Like, did Angel really kill Evita because of her drumming is that real is angel uh, some kind of warlock that can just summon drum beats that make people fling themselves from balconies the implication is is that she drummed so much so hard and so long that the dog was so stressed out it fell out of the window okay um or 23 stories much much more reasonable Angel threw the dog off or the balcony. Or Angel literally threw the dog off the balcony. But that would involve yeah. Angel also doing a breaking and entering into Benny's apartment, um, which is also a, a lot. That's a lot. That is a lot. <laughs> but we do um, know Angel knows how to break and enter. We do know that's that. true. <laughs> so my that's my hypothesis is that Angel uh, murders Evita in cold blood, uh, gets paid a thousand dollars to do it, and then um, you know arrives with all of the money. Uh, and immediately start sharing it with immediately Collins. start sharing. It. I feel like that's <laughs> what helps us forgive Angel. Yeah, is that at every turn for all of the other characters, Angel is literally an angel, yeah. right? Uh, infinitely giving, uh, happy to be there, enthusiastic, protective. You know, like just truly a good person. So the desperate measures that she needed to take to survive and save all of our friends here on the stage, we forgive. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's a little it is a little hard to let go. I don't know why I'd I didn't I mean like I knew, you know, even growing up, like in middle school, yeah, you're you know. like, I know what Angel did, but it didn't like really hit me until fairly recently. That's that, what the song is about. I know. It's about the fact that Angel killed a dog. It's just, I don't know. I, it just, 
I don't, maybe I was remembering around that part. <laughs> uh, anyways. I, just, I, I think we don't see it in Angel to be um, nefarious or murderous outside of the circumstances of this is the only way that I'm going to survive. Yeah, they all do. They all do what they have to to survive. Yeah. Uh, they end up robbing ATMs at the end of the show, for goodness exactly. sake. Um, so, yeah, I guess. Killing dogs is bad, kids. Let's... Killing dogs is bad. We don't forgive anybody who kills a dog. <laughs> Let's move on to the next song. Okay. Because the next song is uh, You'll See. Because we, uh, we got Benny back. Yeah, Benny is back and in person this time, wearing terrible sunglasses and the worst 90s jacket ever. So good. He looks I love great. It, honestly. It's a good uh, look. It is a it is a look. It's not as good as Angel's look, but it's a look. It's a look. Um, yeah. So Benny, the first thing out of Benny's mouth in this song, um, is uh, <laughs> is hey you bum, move over, get your ass off that Range Rover, um, which is just really sets the scene really beautifully for Benny. Uh, right. Benny's a douchebag. He's terrible. He's he, really bad. <laughs> he's the worst, and it's like he will. He's about to make a hot take. He's about to make some valid points. Yeah. Uh, like, we're, we're about to talk about it. But the 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 truth is that at his core, he is shallow. Yes. And he, he is unkind at many, at many, many turns. When, when he's given the choice to not be unkind. Uh, when he could be sympathetic. Yes. He will I will soften on Benny by the end of the show. Yeah, no, because Benny, the show softens on Benny too. That's the 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 current I think we said this last episode. The current discourse is that oh, Benny was right all along. It's more it's more nuanced than that. Benny It is. Benny's not wrong. He owns the building that they live in. He bought the building. He lets them live there rent free. Um, and he now he's like, I want to do with this building something great. I want to turn it into an art studio. I want to turn it into a music producing studio. I want to um, to turn the empty lot next door and just into a different building where maybe I can do condos. Like we can, like like where people can actually live in a place instead of building tents places. Obviously, we don't agree on all these parts, but like. Benny's not, he's not legally in the wrong. And like, even like ethically, he's like, I own this building and it's a hazard. <laughs> I yeah. need to do something about it. He, he makes, and, and when I say he makes valid points, he's in this pitch during You'll See Boys, right? Yes. Uh, he is saying, I'm about to realize the dream. Like, yeah. This is what we always wanted. This is what we always talked about. Yes. Is living in lofts above a studio where the, you know, where the revenue from the studio finances our art. Yes. And and it's self-sustaining and we all make money and we live comfortably and we're independent. And, and we're together. And we can make the art we want. And we're together. Again, just like old times. I'm about to do it. Except what he had to do along the way and what he's about to do to make it happen, those things are reprehensible. Yes. And and what separates Benny from his friends, maybe his former friends, <laughs> is that Benny was willing to buy so far into the system. It's not about him selling out. It's about him buying in. Yeah. That's uh, it. He, he's 
he bought he bought into the system. He went full capitalist and decided that gentrification was the was the way to go. It's the the only way for us to to make the art we want and all be together and live is for me to unhouse all of these people. Yep. Uh, and take all of these homeless unhoused people and remove them forcibly. Yep. And and that's where Benny loses me. Yeah. And and I feel like he he also loses the the rest of the, the characters, right? He's like, isn't it going to be great? It's going to be perfect. You're going to love it. It's going to be an amazing new thing for us, a huge opportunity. Yep. By the way, and Mark's shut, line, shut down the protest. Mark's line is Mark's line of um, you can't just shut down an entire or is it Roger? You can't just shut down an entire tent city then watch it's a wonderful life on TV. It's you can't hold both of those beliefs in your head at the same time. You right. don't get to throw people out of a, of their temporary homes on Christmas and then go home and watch a nice little happy movie with your with your family. You right. can't do that. And if you do, you're a monster. And yeah, you're you're a hypocrite. You're a monster, and you are you are doing the worst thing. Yeah, Benny Benny is a landlord, and he's a scummy one. Yep, like and he's not he's not a good person in this moment. And the fact that everybody seems to have moved over to his side, like at what point did we, as like artists and liberal people and fans of media, go to the landlord's side of anything? Like when have we ever been on team landlord? Never. I, I, Honestly, <laughs> like, I think it's a it's a problem of where this whole idea hits in the show and also a problem of some of the weaker choices in the show because we see Mark especially as a privileged kid choosing this life. Yeah. And we we see that as the person being most affected by Benny's choices instead of the wider picture that the show starts to paint here. Yes. Um, Which again, where it's like, oh, Mark could just go home. You know, uh, what what does Maureen even really care about all of this, anyways? Like, they could all just just go do something else, get a job, right? But no, what Benny is doing is wrong. It is wrong. It's wrong, and and it's bigger than Mark and Roger in their crappy apartment with no heat. Yep. yep. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and this is where, again, uh, where the show could use um, could use an editing pass. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, just a bit, little bit, a little bit of a, a, a second, a second rewrite is is to be like this isn't. They mentioned they're like, oh, you can't just tear down the entire ten city, and oh, what about the ten city? It, they mention it, but we don't see the impact of of it. Um, right, we are focused instead on our um, on our our artist friends here. Yeah. Um, and um, speaking of the protest that needs to be shut down, um, let's go to Tango Maureen. The Tango Maureen. You said to me recently that this song shot so far up on your list of favorite songs from the show. Like, yeah, recently. I used to not like it um, because I didn't. I don't think I got it because I'm <laughs> like, oh, why is there suddenly a tango in this? Um, like, it's, oh, it's, it's so, musical it's so, theater. <laughs> it's so contrary to the rest of the style, and I didn't find Mark and Joanne to be particularly compelling together. But I, I think in in my old age, you know, being 111 years old, uh -huh. um, I've I've really grown to love the two of them together. Their interactions, I yeah. I really love the way that Mark is 
reluctant to help Maureen with anything, but of course he's going to do it because like, why wouldn't he? He still cares you about know? her. Like He does still care about her. And, and the way that Mark and Joanne kind of introduce themselves to each other and then realize that their lives are so parallel. Like, oh, where'd you learn to tango? <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> oh, I love it. She's like with the French ambassador's daughter. And he's like, oh, I learned with the rabbi's daughter at the community center. <laughs> like, <laughs> but like, but like, they're they're both this kind of weirdo, right? Like, where yeah. like they they felt like outsiders their whole lives. Um, they're trying to find some meaning in this avant-garde scene. Uh, they've both ended up with Maureen. They both and love Maureen, even though they she both- jerks them around. Right, they both love that about Maureen too. Why do we like, love when she's mean? Right. That's a line in the song. Why do we love when she's mean? They love it. And and it's just I I watch these two become best friends over their shared desire for and loathing of this woman who might as well be a goddess the way they talk about her. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is to be feared as much as she is to be adored. Um, it honestly, it reminds me of Jolene by Dolly Parton. Oh my gosh, that's funny. With, I was with just like, thinking about that I song. can't compare to her. She's got burning eyes and auburn hair. She's beautiful. And it's like, uh, that's what they're talking about here. That's like so the, the fact that Maureen doesn't show up in this show with hair aflame of riding a chariot. I'm going to make a tweet any minute now. I'm going to say um, it's actually the Tango Jolene and I'm going to rewrite the song. <laughs> I will re- I will read that rewrite. In fact, I will help you sing it if you want. Good. I, you yeah, don't we'll, want me to. We'll get but. to it. <laughs> um, um, yeah, this, yeah, this I, song I is fun. I do love this song. And I, I, love, I love that it's, you know, technical theater failing on a stage. Like that's a fun meta component. Yeah. Uh, it's good. Um, yeah, it's fun. Um, I oh, ultimately, I don't, I don't love that that Maureen is the you know the bisexual slut. Like that's that. It's just such a such a hard stereotype to sit with. That like the only character that's this like that cheats and sleeps around and jerks people around and stuff is the only one that that is like the shown to be bisexual yeah um that's rough that's rough for it me. is uh, and it, it's it's a problem with maureen throughout the entire show but i you know it it is ultimately that maureen is really the the character that is set up to be the one that is so beautiful and compelling and th- and like sociopathic that yeah. they can't help but fall for her over and over and over and over and over again. And I guess that means more about Maureen than it does about her sexual orientation. That she's just so she's just so compelling that people everywhere just fall over themselves to be with her. And she can't really help that, I guess, but she loves it. <laughs> right. She and like, and we, we will get that at the um uh, kind of near the end of the show as well, right? When Maureen sings about it. Yeah. And how yeah. everybody just falls in love with me. I can't help it. But like also Maureen, your your behavior is bad. Yeah. You're as doing, well. Like you betray the people job. who care about you. Yep. You're start making out with girls at the at the life cafe at the end of act one. So of course Joanna's dumped you by the beginning of act two. Right. Um, yeah. 
but well, you know, we'll get there. We haven't even yeah. met Maureen yet. This is just more <laughs> mythology building around her. It's perfect. It's perfect. I love it. <laughs> Let's keep going. Okay. Next one. We go to life support. Um, uh, it's a full. Kind of a, a huge tone shift. <laughs> huge tone shift. Um, life support is, uh, it, they, I mean, they go to the meeting. They're, this is the, the meeting that uh, Angel mentions during You'll See Boys. Life support's a meeting of people coping with life. Um, it seems it appears to be some sort of HIV positive support group. They talk about T cells. They talk about dying. They talk about fear. Um, and it's it. This is like the scenes from Life Support. This one and and then Will I are like really difficult emotionally. And I feel like they. Like, the show doesn't spend nearly enough time talking about how, like, this is where the show goes, hey, remember, there's a, an epidemic outside, and people are dying all the time, and whole communities and generations are being lost, um, and we're not, and and we're just going to talk about it really quick, and then we're going to go keep partying. <laughs> like, yeah. it's... Yeah, that it, it's sandwiched between... The Tango Maureen, which is honestly a joke, mostly played or a song mostly played for jokes. Yeah. Like, and and then, out, tonight, out tonight, which is the, this triumphant party anthem. Where yeah, it gets a you know she she gets dark and introspective like near the end, but yeah, she's yeah. this yeah it's Mimi's like I want song right um um but and that that is just sandwiched in here and that it doesn't it doesn't linger and I think it's because you know like from a from like a, a playwriting standpoint right it's like well we can't linger in this in this downer moment for too long because you know this is the peppy happy first act and we we need to keep the audience interested yeah it is something is i'm going to i'm going to do something shocking right now <laughs> um i'm going to say there is something that the movie does better than the play um is that we return to life support in act two um, we spend time with the people in life support. We, um, we see them, you know, vanish on screen. We watch them die. And the, it's during the without you montage when Mimi is singing and we watch Angel get sicker and sicker and sicker. Um, and I will never, I probably won't praise the film often, but that's something that I will do is that I, I do appreciate that we get to see Paul Gordon, Steve Alley, Pam and Sue again. Um, in the in the film we don't see them enough in the on stage the the fact is that life support could be the play yeah like it, it, there's a different play in here that oh. is about these characters i guess that play is angels in america or the normal heart which we talked about before i think um where there those are the the big um like literary plays and productions about the AIDS epidemic. Um, and so this show is just a different story. Uh, we're, we're not supposed to be focused on, on the life support group. I just, I just really like them and I really like their, their credo and their song. I like the will I song. Um, it's just, I don't know. I, and Mark stumbles in. We don't even get to spend that much time with life support because Mark stumbles in and like makes a whole big old mess about being late. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but yeah. but also there's the okay. I want to I want to complicate it a little bit though. Okay. 
because no day but today is complicated in this show. Yeah. The way that it's used, right? Like, and it, the, the credo of life support is we have to live for the now because it's all we have. It's complicated because it's, it's about to get subverted and it's about to be, instead of living for the moment, it's about to be being as reckless as possible because what else is there? And I feel like bringing it up just to subvert it, it does a lot to undercut the meaning of scenes like that, where I feel like there is an attitude within the show where when we're at life support, there's a naivete mm-hmm. that is being criticized. Yeah. Uh, by by the life support, like the, the person in charge of it, right? By the members there the way that they all kind of get together and, and just kind of sing and try to keep positive and hopeful. Yeah. And then it gets completely thrown out. Well, first, but first the one guy stands up and is like, I have a problem with this. Yeah. I have a problem with this credo. Um, I, my T cells are low. I regret that news. And, yeah. and, and the, but then Paul is like, so how do you feel? You know? And he's, he says, I best I felt all year. Um, because it's like, I guess that's part of it, though. No day but today. Um, right. It's he's like I just you know I got this terrible news that my T cells are low and I'm not doing okay, but I feel better than I have all year. I don't know if it's the the knowing, like I have answers, or because I'm more at peace with what's about to happen to me. Like right. I I don't I don't know what he's saying when he says best I felt all year. I think it's but, I, it's because. Uh, the message of life support, and maybe this is what Larson was going for, but like, maybe the message of life support is that you are more than your disease, right? Which was a novel way of thinking yeah. in 1990, right? Um, so I get that. Like, I get the actually, I feel great despite the fact that my T cells are low, right? Like, I get that. He, they're trying to focus on that there is positive, that there is life, and you do have today. Yeah. Uh, but I find it just, I find it difficult well, to, yeah. to see them as the clearly good influence that they're kind of meant to be on these yeah. characters. But I guess because he, because he keeps going then after he says, I feel, you know, as good as I've ever felt. Um, but I choose fear because I'm a New Yorker and fears my life. <laughs> yeah. Says, um, I've, I find some of what you teach suspect because I'm used to relying on intellect. And I try to open up to what I don't know because reason says I should have died three years ago. Right. That, I highlighted that that line specifically. Reason says I should have died three years ago. Because uh, Roger sings it too. Um, and... The, the, it doesn't make perfect sense with Roger because he only just found out, you know, six months ago or whatever. Yeah. Um. But, but them saying I should like I should be dead like like intellectually I know that I shouldn't like be here that I maybe I don't have the right to be here and right. that's why I'm scared. But there's nothing to do but to keep going, and I, the person that needs to hear it is Roger and he's not there. Right. Um, and, and that, and, and that's that frustrating. It's frustrating. Sure. And, but, but Roger, Roger doesn't get that lesson. He gets Mimi's version of that lesson. Right. Which is also unfortunate. Right. So, so let's, let's get to them. 
Yeah. Uh, because because I feel like that that will help us find our argument here. Um, out tonight is fun, happy rock. Mimi wants to go out tonight. Yep. She she knows that she's sick. She knows that you know doing heroin is not a great thing, but she's doing it anyways. And she wants to have a good time here on Christmas Eve. Let's go out. Yep. She's struggling, poor Mimi. She's 19 yeah. years old. The line, the 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 like breakdown in the middle of the song where she says, um, she says like I have to roam. Like I can't be at I can't be at home. I can't just sit there and and think. She's got to go somewhere. So dark, we forget who we are. Where all the scars of the nevers and maybes die. It's right. like a really intense line to fit in such a poppy song. Um, it's about about disappearing and not thinking about what's happening. If I can just go and party and like somewhere where it's dark, I don't have to think about what she calls the nevers and maybes. I don't think about I'll never live to see my thirties. I'll never, you know have a family i'll never or yeah or, maybe, or maybe if i had made other choices or maybe if things had been better for me i could have not yeah that's that's that like missing line there the the, yeah. the part about the nevers and the maybes and she says no i don't i'm not gonna think about it i don't it's too painful and and her her nevers and maybes are so numerous because she is so young she's only 19 it's a horrible thing to think about and something that that is is so painful it's like a shot in the heart every single time I think about it. So I don't know how old everybody else is supposed to be, but Collins is teaching at MIT and Benny owns the building. Like, I don't... like. She's younger than that. She's she much, is. much, much younger. And I I feel like I'm about to get critical of Mimi. Oh, no. I, 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 want, it, I want it to be perfectly clear that I'm, I'm critical of how Mimi is written and implemented, not Mimi as a character. Because a lot of what she does and says and tries to get other people to do is chalk that up to the fact that she's 19 and she's HIV positive and she's addicted to drugs. And of course, she's making bad decisions, you know? Yeah, of course. But I feel like how she's used as this kind of antithesis of life support and this temptation for Roger to both give in to hopelessness and also to live and how like th those are seen as like equally valid arguments under the circumstances it, within the context of the play it's, it's how they're set up I I, I I bristle at that yeah. watching it. it it just makes me go Ugh. like I don't know is that is it because Mimi's reasoning is flawed and we're supposed to be like no, look out! Or it's like, Mimi good for Roger, actually, because he is way too inside himself. And that's why he'll never produce a great song right now, because he's way too just caught up in all of the regrets and the maybes. And it's like, well, maybe maybe they'll help each other, but, but she's so wrong. <laughs> and it it's tough, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she's in direct contrast to Roger. Roger wants to leave a legacy. Mimi wants to disappear. And here's where we where we feed out tonight into another day. Um, and because they're almost they're 
almost the same song. They're, they're more or less the same song. They they directly run into each other. Life support this is out- a rock opera sometimes. <laughs> Life support out tonight and another day are basically the three three songs that are the, that are one song. And they have they have the same uh, they have repeated lines and choruses. Yeah, and this is why originally this episode was going to stop after life support, but why I needed to feed out tonight and another day into this is because they are they the lines that repeat over and over again that no other road, no other day, no day but today. And you're right that Mimi is like the the like antithesis of life support. That like it's like the adults are at life support. <laughs> And Mimi, as a 19-year-old girl who was like, I'm I'm struggling, um, and I'm into you, and I'd really like to just like do drugs and vanish into the night. Is that is that cool? And obviously Roger's like, no, no, it's not cool. I just got over heroin. You're not allowed to do this to me. And then the tunes start to blend together. And this com- becomes kind of like a like a mini climax in the middle of Act One, where they, where Roger's like, you're you're off track and you're and you're hurting me and you're you're beautiful and you could be this like the great song that I'm trying to write. But Roger doesn't know that Mimi's got AIDS. Right. Roger just knows that Mimi wants to do drugs and he's right. like, if I do that. I'm putting you in danger. That's how he got it in the first place. They were sharing needles. I'm going to put this 19-year-old beautiful woman in danger. And she's like, she's everything that I want, but I'm going to kill her if I if I engage. Um, but she and the life support people on the other side of the stage are singing that I've got to start living my life instead of being stuck inside for months on end. And if I, like, how do I reconcile those two things together? My answer is to push everyone away. It's easier to just stay inside by myself. Yeah. And and the fact that Mimi's argument gets wrapped up in life support singing at the same time says to me that the show's seeing them as, like, co-equal and equally necessary these are yeah two forces that are both singing at roger to get off your ass and do something right and that they both they they're yeah equally as important life support says get over your fear learn to live with it and um and mimi's saying get over your fear come do drugs with me <laughs> they're right not, which they're not which the is same so so tough for me because they're not the same you know life support life support is more correct as far as a healthy reaction to a life-threatening illness that you have yeah uh, and yet it feels like mimi is just part of that that recommendation from the show yeah. To like live and go out and do things. Party with this 19 year old stripper. Right. And it's like Roger resists that, right? He kind of resists it all. And he, he kind of stays within himself. Uh and he he banishes her. Like, take thy beak from out my heart <laughs> and take thy heroin from out my door. Get thee to a nunnery. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know, Mimi's just sitting there going like never more. You're never going to live again. 
Yeah, uh, if you don't come with me right now. Literally, the song is The Raven. And so when you rewrite Jolene, I will also uh, include please also rewrite the Raven. the Raven. I'm also going to keep my Hamlet reference in there. <laughs> I am. While um, I nodded, nearly napping. <laughs> uh, and so, I don't know. This this is the part of the show that most frustrates me. The, the lesson to be learned from these moments is the most muddled and confused. Yeah. Uh, and... Maybe that's what it's going for. Maybe it's like, there is no easy answer and it, it needs to be like, because life support still feels kind of naive and Mimi is way too wrong to be right. So there has to be some balance or middle path between them that the show isn't revealing right now. Yeah. And I don't know if it does is the other thing because these characters have baggage that causes them to just fall together, fall apart, and and what is the conclusion for these characters? There is none. Right. <laughs> Which is why this show needs a rewrite. <laughs> uh, and so this is, this is, for me, one of the strangest parts of the show. Yeah. But I must say that this... Uh, wh- what's another word for... It's not a trilogy, but I guess you could call it that. Triptych? Is that a thing? Yeah, triptych. This triptych of songs is great. It, it sounds great. It's performed beautifully. Yeah. Yeah. These it's yeah, good. these three songs, one right after the other, Life Support Out Tonight, Another Day, are beautiful and like truly iconic musical theater. Um even like and, and we get the fun bits in another day. And we get it in Christmas bells, like maybe like like maybe better. But I really like who doesn't love a good musical theater piece where everybody's singing over each other and they've got their own lines and, and you know, you blend two different melodies together. You know, who doesn't love that? That's the best. No, that's musical theater. That's where it's at. That's like what the art form's about. <laughs> yep. And um, so like, yeah, this is a really good like mini climax and like uh, like a and a good point to like stop the discussion about act one. Um, to to wrap it up here on another day, Roger says, "No, who said like who says that there's a soul?" Is something that he says, and 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 like I'm not, I don't want, I don't want this. Leave me alone. I know I just said I wanted to write a song and get some glory, but this isn't the way to do it. I'm like I can't, and that the that the rest of the act is about talking. It, his the rest of the act talks about like why he was wrong to say no and like he actually fixes it pretty like pretty quick um like he he gets out of the house like by yeah and he, he like, takes Mimi to the protest and then to dinner like that's yeah. actually that is the balance that it's is all the middle still way. within a couple hours of each other like this yeah. like all of act one takes place within a matter of hours Right. And so he gets over it quick and he realizes how harsh he was to her and like he needs to go apologize. But like, cause yeah, cause he's yelling at her and he's like physically removing her from his apartment and all of this. It's like, it's like intense and he's, yeah. but he's not wrong. He just needed to take a breath and realize what, what is being offered to him is a chance to say like, I'm alive still. Yeah. And, and, and I feel it doesn't like... have to be doing drugs with Mimi, but he can <laughs> take somebody else up on the offer of going outside. Right. And so, like, I guess maybe my criticism falls a little flat then, but that is a conversation for another time. 
like the, this idea that Roger finds this other path and that it works for a little while is interesting. Yeah. Um, and I, honestly, how could his reaction to Mimi not be like incredibly emotional? I mean, she looks like her. Yeah. Right. That's what he says. And when the moonlight's in her hair. I mean, like, how could it not be? And she's offering him the same thing that doomed them both. Yeah. And and he sees it happening all over again. And yeah. And luck, you know, luckily for, for him and for, you know, I guess for the story, he realizes that he took too hard of a line, too hard of a stance. Yeah. And it's and so he he will he will think about it. <laughs> and then yeah. and then but that is a discussion for another time. Yeah. Well, buddy, it seems like our time talking about uh, this part of Rent, Act 1, Part 1, uh, has come to an end. Yeah, I feel like we reached an interesting conclusion. This was an interesting little mini-arc that you uh, you selected and curated for us. I'm excited to see what we think of the next one, which is Act 1, Part 2, which will take us all the way through the rest of Act 1. Uh, yes. And that will be the episode released in the month of February. Yes, that will cover the songs Will I all the way through La Vibo and B. Um, so if you want to listen along or, or, you know, listen before we get there, that those are those are that's your homework <laughs> for for the next month. Um, and in the meantime, uh, we have some fun ways to support the show. Yeah, that's right. At patreon.com slash those happy places, you can find many reward tiers uh, that will support us in all of the podcasting that we do for this show and all of our other ones. Uh, it's named after Those Happy Places, which is another show that we do, which is about theme parks, rides, and attractions. Uh, it's kind of our flagship show. It's kind of the first show we really got our start with in podcasting. So uh, it remains the name of the Patreon, but Greetings from Cyberland is among the Those Happy Podcasts family of shows. And so supporting us there will uh, see support arrive for this show as well. Uh, and there's all sorts of bonus content and uh, stickers and pins and stuff uh, available at all sorts of different reward tiers. And Alice, actually, one of the rewards we offer is uh, certain backers will have their names read at the end of every episode of every show that we do <laughs> the end of every episode of every show that we do and uh i have that list of people right here i'm going to read the names of our illustrious patrons oh, go for it all right we've got charles g oslam c april l Ree j ian e nick h joe w and kate p thank you all so so much for your contributions and for your support uh, we we love you so much. And if you, the listener, are you want to join the ranks, you should head on over to patreon.com slash those happy places. But if you're not able to support the show monetarily at this time, we completely understand. Times are hard. So if you wanted to support the show in other ways, what you should do is go ahead and follow us on Twitter. Yeah, I'm at Buddy underscore Duquesne. Duquesne is spelled D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E. Uh, and I'm always on Twitter. And I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Alice White THP for those happy places. And you can follow the show on Twitter as well at Cyberland Pod. Um, right now on the Cyberland uh, Twitter account, 
Uh, ever since December 24th at 9 p.m., I have been in a chain of... <laughs> we have been um, reciting the show line by line, and unbroken, for a month now. Wow. Um, we are almost done with Act 1. <laughs> That's incredible. It's uh, really fun. <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been watching that, and uh, it has been, like, when really good lines come along and you retweet them, I'm like, ah, there it is, there's that line. Um, it's been really cool. Uh, I know that there are a lot of Rent fans out there uh, who might be looking for another way to appreciate the show. So one of the best ways that you can uh, support the show is by telling, you know, other people who might enjoy the show thinking about the hit musical and film Rent, um, you know, that we exist, that we're out there, and yeah. that we are making something interesting. Yeah. Uh, I, I really think that that's the best way to support us. Yeah, definitely share the show with your friends. Um, and, you know, if you're listening on, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, drop us a rating or a review and, um, yeah, and share, share with everybody who, even if they aren't a Rent fan, but they want to maybe understand... Uh, why it's so important to so many people. Send them our way. Um, we're having so much fun making the show, and uh, we just thank you to everybody who's been tuning in. Yeah. You know, Alice, I'm going to add some music to this episode. Ooh, where would you have found that music? All of the music that I used in this episode is from Kevin McLeod, who has a website called incompetech.com. On that website, we are able to access and download his musical tracks and use them in our podcast using a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution license, which simply demands that we say thank you to Kevin at the end of every episode. So, thank you, Kevin. Check the show notes for the track list and license information. Yes, thank you so much, Kevin, for your beautiful work and uh, for letting us use it. You know, Alice, I think that brings us to the end of everything. Uh, and I'd just like to say thank you for making the show with me. Thank you so much uh, for making the show with me, for coming along on this crazy uh, adventure, this wild journey. Um, I, you know, you're an awesome, awesome co-host with the best ideas. Um, and I'm, I'm really glad that we're making this show. Yeah. And I think that means there's only one thing left to do. Jump over the moon. <laughs> <laughs>